This is an Area Code podcast. P.C. Brockman was the man in charge. And he said that, uh, well, I'm not going to call you Rosalie. I'm going to just call you Moonshine Kate. And I've been going by that ever since. Welcome to Wildwood Flower, stories of women who built country music. I'm your host, Jack Peterson, a lifelong music fan and country music outsider, trying to appreciate a genre I've always kept at a distance. Today's episode, we're talking about Moonshine Kate. How people in different parts of the country like what you call hillbilly music. Uh, practically everywhere we went to, they loved it. Now, we had run across one or two that didn't care much about it, but we had a house full. We sure would. We'd have a house full. And uh, the ones that didn't like it, they were right there. We were told that they were there. And uh, I think everybody enjoyed it. That's Rosalie Carson, who recorded under the name Moonshine Kate in the 1920s and early 30s. Carson's father, Fiddle and John Carson, recorded what many say is the first commercial country record, a minstrel tune called Little Old Log Cabin in the Lane for Ralph Peer at OK Records. Upon hearing the song, Peer is rumored to have called it Perplect Awful, although he may have been referring to the audio quality and not the song itself. Maybe, but if Peer was talking about the song itself, he could be forgiven for not liking it. It's a minstrel song told from the perspective of a formerly enslaved person who longs for better days under slavery. It's a romanticizing of a violent, immoral institution in a way that assuages white guilt. Anyway, Peer didn't like the song. He probably shared the taste proffered by the New York record labels at the time, polished parlor tunes, opera, and classical recordings. Peer didn't let his taste stand in the way of making money, though, and he was looking for more ways to capitalize on the vernacular music industry that took off since Mamie Smith's Crazy Blues hit in 1923. Fiddle and John Carson looms large in country music history, primarily because of this recording. He also was willing to play up the hillbilly image that Peer and other record men were trying to cultivate through their hillbilly labels. Though he was an Atlanta factory worker, very much a city person, Carson adopted a backward, mountain rube persona in his fashion, his music, and his comedy. We'll get to these comedy sketches in a bit. I'll say this out front, I'm not here to cancel Moonshine Kate. I imagine most people have never heard of her. I'm not interested in separating the artist from the art types of debate either. Listeners can make up their own minds if they want to engage with an artist. I do, however, feel that listeners can and should make informed decisions about whose music to engage with. With this in mind, I'm going to introduce you to Rosalie Carson's work and at the same time lay out some details about Rosalie and Fiddle and John Carson's life and music that may diminish your enjoyment of it. I'm also going to play some Rosalie Carson songs that I truly enjoy. So for me, it's impossible to discuss Moonshine Kate's career without mentioning the white supremacy that entangled her and her music. Her father is not only a legendary fiddler, he's also a Ku Klux Klan member. Early performances with the traveling band the Virginia Reelers include blackface comedy, all too common in entertainment at this time. 
You can see episode two of this podcast for more information about the role of blackface and minstrelsy in early country music. Reading like a scene from the Coen Brothers' Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Fiddle and John and Rosalie campaign for a white supremacist gubernatorial candidate, Eugene Talmadge, and then support his segregationalist anti-civil rights son, Herman, in his gubernatorial bids. While it's true that the Carsons were scrappy musicians, taking any paying gig they could, backing the Talmadges wasn't entirely a financial decision. Here's Rosalie in a late interview describing her father's political affiliations. How did, um, how did Fiddlin' John and Gene Talmadge get to meet each other in the first place, hook up with each other? Uh, when Gene started uh, campaigning, I believe it was, when he started campaigning, well, Dad got went up there and and asked him if he could uh, go around with him, campaign with him, and uh, he said, "Yeah." So, Fiddlin' John was a Talmadge man. Yeah. Oh yes, he was a Talmadge man. He sure was. He was a Talmadge man for father and son. Tell him about the record he made. Yeah, he made a record that. Uh, he was a Talmadge man from his hat, from his shoes to his hat. So with that as the backdrop, let's talk more about Rosalie's life and music. Rosalie Carson is born poor and white in Atlanta in 1909. And at the age of three, she begins dancing on stage while her father performs the fiddle. The family also hosts square dances in their three-room house, charging 10 cents per couple. Like Roba Stanley in the previous episode, Rosalie was a part of the Atlanta old-time music scene from an early age. By age 14, Rosalie is performing with her father on Atlanta's WSB, whose call letters stand for Welcome South Brother. Around this time, she's also given a small part in a local theater production of a play called Mrs. Wiggs of the Cabbage Patch, which is a story of an optimistic widow and her brood of children. Fiddle and John is hired as a fiddler for a scene in the performance, and Rosalie has a dancing role as a hillbilly girl. From the merits of her WSB radio performances, Rosalie is given the opportunity to make a record. In 1925, she records two songs for OK Records, The Lone Child and one of her father's original compositions, Little Mary Fagan, which tells the story of a local 13-year-old girl's murder. This is a big song for Fiddle and John and Moonshine Kate's career, so it deserves more attention here. The subject of the song, Mary Fagan, worked at the National Pencil Factory, where two of Rosalie's older sisters also worked. If we were to follow the events as they're laid out in the song, here's how things would have happened. Mary Fagan goes to the pencil factory to pick up her pay. She's confronted by the director of the factory, a man named Leo Frank, who tells her that she would not be going home that day. He kills her and then gets the custodian, Jim Conley, to take her body and tie it up in the basement. The night watchman, Newt Lee, finds the body in the basement and calls the police, who arrests Newt Lee, who is later found innocent. 
The judge convicts Leo Frank of the murder, and Frank is sentenced to death. This is where the song leaves the story, but John Carson's song is not an accurate telling. At least it doesn't tell what happens after Jewish, Brooklyn-born Leo Frank is convicted. The trial lasted a month, and during this time, John Carson wrote three songs about the murder, each one preying on and stirring up anti-Semitism among Atlantans. Carson would perform his songs on the courthouse steps during the trial, and his children would sell broadsides of the song for ten cents apiece. In the actual series of events, after Leo Frank's initial verdict, he and his lawyers repeatedly appealed the conviction, eventually reaching the federal Supreme Court. His sentence is commuted from the death penalty to life in prison. After this decision, 25 masked vigilantes, calling themselves the Knights of Mary Fagan, break into Frank's cell in Milledgeville, Georgia, and drive him to Marietta, where they lynch him. Fiddle and John, if not at the lynching itself, certainly took advantage of the morbidly curious crowd it drew. The Atlanta Journal reported that Fiddle and John swayed the crowds by singing his ballad about Fagan's murder over and over again, as the crowd, quote, cheered and applauded him lustily. Fiddle and John, the troubadour of the mountains, basked in reflected glory, and it was not until the courthouse crowds began to tire of his songs and fiddle that he departed reluctantly. Leo Frank is posthumously found not guilty of the murders. The most probable culprit was the custodian, Jim Conley. The murder of Mary Fagan and Leo Frank's trials and lynching are case studies on anti-Semitism and are still studied today. The story has been retold numerous times through books, TV, and film. The Frank case led directly to the creation of the Anti-Defamation League. Moonshine Kate didn't only record topical songs. Many of Moonshine Kate's recordings with Fiddle and John include comedic sketches, where Fiddle and John plays a drunk, and Moonshine Kate plays his wisecracking daughter. Here's Fiddle and John's daughter now. He's making whiskey somewhere in these hills. Yes, he sure is. Well, I'll see if I can't get a little dope from her, find out where he still is. Hello, little girl. How to do? Whose little girl are you? You mean who is my daddy? Yes, ma'am. Phil and John Carson, most said. Well, where is your father today? See that hill over there? Yes, ma'am. He's over there making liquor. Where's your mother? Is she at home? You mean my mom? Yes, ma'am. She's over there helping him make the liquor. Do they make whiskey to sell? They don't make it to give away. Well, have you got any whiskey now? Did you meet a man over there driving a bull with a basket on his arm? Yes, I did. He got the last can, but we'll have plenty tomorrow. Well, come and show us where your father still is, and we'll give you five dollars. Will you show up? Sure will. Give it here, then. Oh, we'll give it here when we get back from the still. No, sir, you give me my five dollars now. If you go over there, you sure ain't coming back. Who is that playing the violin? Nobody. Earl Johnson's playing his old fiddle. Well, how about playing us a tune? Come here, Earl. These old men want to play the machine. Some suggest that Fiddle and John's over-imbibing is not too far from the truth though Rosalie denies this, saying that no one had enough money to get drunk at the time. Moonshine Kate's recordings are marked by their blues-inflected drawl and humor. One of her recordings is Raggedy Riley, which mirrors the song Devilish Mary, recorded earlier by Roba Stanley. In Roba Stanley's version, Devilish Mary is a shrewish wife who torments her husband by trying to wear the pants in the family. Here are the final lines of Devilish Mary. 
If ever I marry the second time, I'll be for the love and the riches. It'll be a little girl about to be died, so she can't wear my breeches. A ring to my dink to my dearie. Prettiest girl that ever I saw, her name was Devilish Mary. Moonshine Kate's Raggedy Riley switches the genders of the characters. Listen to this. Since I started this project, I've listened to a lot of great country songs. Not many contain lyrics that bring me so much joy as the stanza, If I marry again in this world, won't be for love nor riches. I'll marry a little man about my size so I can wear his britches. It's possible that the regendering of the lyrics was Rosalie's doing. Other gems of Moonshine Kate's OK Records are My Man's a Jolly Railroad Man, in which the singer brags on her husband's railroad work with possible double entendre of his sexual prowess. My man's a jolly railroad man Folks all call him shorty He never works at anything else Tomorrow he'll be She also records the 1930s song The Poor Girl's Story, which adapts the song Railroad Boomer, originally recorded by Bud Billings and Carson Robison. Railroad Boomer tells the story of a rambler who can't settle down. He meets a woman and asks her to marry him. When she says yes, he hears a train whistle blow, and he can't help but move on, leaving the woman standing by the tracks. Like in Raggedy Riley, Moonshine Kate's version of the poor girl's story is a gender-swapped version, and the song tells a startling feminist tale as a result. When the railroad boomer in the original song leaves the woman standing by the tracks, it's a sad moment, not because the woman is left without marrying this rambling man because she really dodged a bullet there, but because the story of the man addicted to rambling is a tale of woe. In Moonshine Kate's version, though she gives the same warning to never start to ramble around lest she get the wandering fever, her delivery and the tone of the song is more joyous and comic than it is tragic, to my ears. Listen for yourself. Moonshine Kate tours extensively with Fiddle and John and the Virginia Reelers. Rosalie said they went to all 50 states, Cuba, Canada, and Mexico. 
The Great Depression puts OK Records out of business and ends Fiddling John and Moonshine Kate's recording careers. I don't know whether y'all know about that, but I'm sure you've heard of the Depression in those days. Well, we had a hard time. You know, we made records for the OK Record Company. And uh, so they went bankrupt. And so that knocked us out of a job. And then we had to get out and do what we could. And we had a hard time this talking about poor folks of today. They don't know what poor folks are. We were poor folks in those days. Fiddlin' John gets a job as an elevator operator where he could still draw a crowd by performing comedic bits for his passengers. Rosalie gets a job through the WPA for the Georgia Department of Recreation. Rosalie recounts that during World War II, all of the men left to fight, so she and other women were left to do all the coaching of football and baseball. She says that a few of her athletes went on to play in the pros. The hillbilly music of Rosalie's teenage years continued to adapt to the times. Well, it, it didn't change. As long as we had it, it didn't change. But afterwards, after it passed, I would say uh, up in the 30s, then it started changing in the 30s. People started changing. They called it the Western music, and then it was country music. And... Uh, did you try and keep up with those changes with the uh -uh. western wasn't worth it wasn't worth it all kind of music is the best there's some girls of today that can really sing now that loretta lynn i just love her singing when she uh now there's one song that i just love for her to sing for me one time and that's that i'm a country girl mm -hmm. I'd love for her to sing that one time. And then uh, they just don't sing and uh, put on like they used to. Oh, yeah, the city might be fine, but there's a lot of hills to climb for a country girl who just got home from town. I'm a country girl just home from town. Went far enough to look around, but nothing caught my eye, so I didn't buy. So if you Rosalie and Roba Stanley, just one year apart, were professional peers and friends. They stayed in correspondence into their twilight years. Rosalie marries and keeps on playing music for herself and others until her arthritis makes it too difficult. Before her death in 1992, she's asked by the Atlanta Music Hall of Fame to donate her guitar and Fiddle and John's 1773 Stradivarius replica fiddle. Here's what she had to say about that. They wanted me to uh, give it to them up there at the uh, Historical Society. They wanted to show it off, but I couldn't let them do it. I said the only way that I'd let you have is for me to be standing right beside of it. And they didn't want me, you know. And I said, well, I couldn't let you have Dad's fiddle because that was too precious to me and it was too expensive fiddle to let someone have it otherwise. Mm -hmm. And my guitar is over 50 years old and so I still have it and uh, they wanted it. And I said, well, same thing with it. 
Go find more Moonshine Cape music where you can. And look into the Leo Frank case if you're interested. Listening to Wildwood Flower. You can follow me on Instagram at Wildwood Flower Pod or email me with any questions or comments at wildwoodflowerpod at gmail.com. Musicians, if you're interested in submitting a cover song to be featured on the episode, look in the show description for upcoming episodes and deadlines. Support women making music today. Look in the show description for a link on how to do that. The next episode, we'll talk about Sarah Carter of the Carter family.